Hi, and welcome back to Wonder Woman, a podcast that tells the stories of inspirational women in history you may never have heard of. I'm Dominique Roberts. And I'm Megan Armconnect. All right, so today's podcast puts a face to the countless women who helped decoding enemy messages, especially during World War II. So there have been a few books and movies and miniseries recently that describe women codebreakers. The one example is like the miniseries Bletchley Circle, and I know Dominique really likes that. Oh yeah, I love that show. You guys should all watch it. <laughs> yeah, so I haven't seen it yet, but I do. I love stories about women codebreakers. I think it's fascinating. And so these women really helped to win the Allied war effort. These were women who were talented in math and languages, and they played huge roles in deciphering codes. One of these women was Genevieve Gratian Feinstein, and she decoded both the infamous Purple Code and the Venona Code to help the U.S. decipher both Japanese and Soviet messages. Wait, sorry, can you explain what were these codes? So the Japanese Purple Code was this code that was for diplomatic reasons, and the Japanese government in uh, Tokyo would use this code. It was, just, it was just called Purple, and it was just this really complicated code that was really hard to figure out. And I can, I'll go into a little bit more in detail later on. And same with the Venona Code. That was a code that the Soviet Union used for their, for their spies, and they were both just really, really difficult to crack. So Genevieve was born in 1913 in Buffalo, New York, and growing up she loved math and she wanted nothing more than else to be a math teacher and worked really hard for it. She was talented in school, she regularly received top honors in all of her subjects, but especially math, and she majored in math at the University of Buffalo in 1934. After graduation, she worked for a time as a substitute teacher and tutored students in math and science. She wanted to find work as a college math teacher, but she couldn't find a school willing to hire her. So instead, she accepted a position at the Railroad Retirement Board, where she just calculated pensions. The work was fine, but she wanted to advance in her career. And so one of the, her job's requirements was that she had to take a routine math test for a pay raise. She took the test, and her score was so high that it caught the attention of William Friedman. So William Friedman, he headed the Signal Intelligence Service, which was a forerunner of the National Security Agency. So basically kind of like working with, with deciphering codes and for American security. So Friedman was building a team of talented codebreakers, many of whom were women. And these women were skilled in mathematics and foreign languages, and they used their skills to crack these war codes. And Genevieve caught his attention. He offered her a job to work for the SIS in what he called just the code section. She had no idea what this meant, but she thought it sounded cool, so she said yes. And she was authorized to work for the SIS in 1939. So that's like right when um, that's right when Germany invades Poland. So right when World War II starts. So is she British or she's American? Okay. So she was born in New York. So this is before America becomes officially involved in the war. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So and during this time, with like with U.S. and Japanese relations, like this is before Pearl Harbor as well. But they still are starting to be a little bit um, stretched and just like a little bit strained. And so they they want to crack this diplomatic code in order to just have more American security and safety. So Genevieve began her work as a junior cryptanalyst and as a civilian employee. So she wasn't really, like, she was not involved with the military. She worked as a civilian. And she was put to work trying to decipher this Japanese purple code. And like I said before, even though the U.S. and Japan were not at war yet in 1939, tensions between the two countries were still really intense. And purple was used for diplomatic messages, like, entirely. not So not for military messages, 
but if the U.S. codebreakers could figure it out, the knowledge they would gain would help in their own negotiations with their allies, especially Great Britain. So there's a lot of players going in with this. Okay, so to kind of just explain the Purple Code a little bit more, the way the Purple Code and other Japanese codes worked um, was that the Japanese encoded a message using a special device called a cipher machine. They then radioed the message forward to like their superiors who needed this message. And a U.S. radio station would intercept these messages and then send it to Washington. And there the cryptanalysts went to work when they got this message, this coded message that had been intercepted. The coded messages in the purple code consisted of a pattern of numbers and symbols. Each symbol stood for a letter, but the letter it stood for changed as the cipher machine moved forward. So each time this happened, a symbol would come to sound for something else, which made it the code incredibly difficult to solve. So Genevieve's working on this code, trying to figure out what these symbols mean, and she makes this breakthrough, like this really big, big breakthrough on the Purple Code on September 20th, 1940. And the day is important because that's the same day that Germany, Japan, and Italy joined together uh, in kind of like the Axis powers. Mm -hmm. So she was working as she always did, just looking over the codes, and she was a really meticulous worker and very, she's actually really shy but while she was doing that, just doing her work, she identified patterns in the random set of letters and numbers, and that allowed them to be rearranged as Japanese words. Wait, did she speak Japanese? No, she didn't. But the the symbols were actually um, American letters, like were kind of just like English letters. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, she found out that these words, like these American English letters, could be rearranged with Japanese into Japanese words, which then actually were the real words that needed to be translated into English. So there's a lot of different layers going on in this code. Oh. So she's able to recognize a pattern that she can say, oh, this is going to make a word in Japanese. So she tells her senior officers that she has something to show them. And um, when one of her senior officers wrote in his memoir that he, about this discovery of the Purple Code, this cracking of it, he wrote that we could see from Genevieve's attitude that she must have discovered something extraordinary. And after looking at her work, he exclaimed, that's it, that's it. Jean has found what we're looking for. So when the boss came, when William Friedman came over to check, he recognized that the pattern was correct, that it was making sense. Like suddenly it just, it made sense. Mm-hmm. And he sent for Coca-Cola's all around. That was what they <laughs> kind of just did. And actually it was the first time Genevieve had ever tried a Coke before. Yeah. So, but that's, that's what they did on that September day. So Genevieve was 27 years old when she made this breakthrough and the implications of cracking the purple code were huge. Basically, it meant that the U.S. had uninhibited access to Tokyo's diplomatic messages from 1940 on. Now, since you might be wondering, um, since Purple intercepted diplomatic and not military plans, solving it was not sufficient on its own to prevent an attack on Pearl Harbor. So there wasn't actually, there were no messages in Purple that talked about Pearl Harbor. Because they were just diplomatic messages and not actual military. And not war messages, okay. yeah. Okay. But still, it was really important to yeah. kind of, because sometimes diplomats will say things to other diplomats that maybe they shouldn't, you know, things yeah. like that. So that it, it does help. And it was instrumental and in contributed to the American victory at the Battle of Midway in 1942, which was oh. a big turning point in the Pacific Theater. Wow, so her cracking this code would have saved thousands of lives. That must have been huge. Her breakthrough is considered one of the greatest achievements in the history of U.S. code breaking. But she was also really modest about the breakthrough. She said, maybe I was just lucky. Um, she said, I was excited and, inter- and interested um, and looking forward to working on the mechanism to like figure out this, this code. And I just regarded it as just one step in a series of steps. So she was pretty shy and unassuming. Um, Genevieve didn't leave a lot of records. So a lot of what we have about her is from her friends. But what is evident from her work is that she really took her work seriously. 
So after her breakthrough, she was promoted within the SIS, given a raise, and assigned what they called exceptionally difficult cryptographic responsibilities. Um, she actually was also awarded the Exceptional Civilian Service Award in 1946, right after World War II. So while working for SIS, um, Genevieve met and married a man named Hyman Feinstein, and he worked at, as a chemist at the National Bureau of Standards in Washington, D.C. So they both were very like math and science-oriented people. Um, and they married during the war. They married in 1943 and had a son named Ellis. But after World War II, Genevieve continued to work for the SIS, um, this time aiming to crack the Soviet ciphering system. So this project was called Venona. The Soviet's code was called Venona. So the Soviet Union and the United States were allies during World War II. So this meant that there was some information shared. And this meant also that the Soviets were aware of how the Japanese Purple Code was deciphered and also how the German Enigma um, Code was deciphered during World War II. So after World War II, there was a Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. And there, this was starting to even, like the, these tensions were even started to happen like at, towards the end of World War II. And this this Cold War was like kind of an ideological war between um, like the American system of democracy and the Soviet system of communism. There also was like a lot of like tension about um, the nuclear bomb and all these different things. It was really just fraught time. And so the Soviets knew how the Americans and the Brits had deciphered the German and the Japanese codes. And since the Soviets weren't really on friendly terms with the United States anymore, they did not want the United States to be able to decipher their own codes. So they took advantage of this, uh, by, of the knowledge they had about how the Japanese code was, de was deciphered to create their own code. And their code was called Venona. So the Soviets decided to use a more labor-intensive method than just a machine. So they would just use like a one-time pad to be able to decide to put in codes to send to their different agents. And the Soviet intelligence officer, so this is how it would work. The Soviet intelligence officer would write out his or her message and then hand it to a cipher clerk to convert the text into a four-digit numerical code. Then the cipher clerk would use a one-time pad. So this one-time pad would basically only be with one time and then thrown away. Um, to figure out what unique numerical value to add to the previously determined code and then convert the final numbers into Latin letters, which would then they would they would have into like Russian letters later on. So it was really, really complicated, really labor intensive. And because each message used this one-time pad system, it, each message had a unique cipher. And so there was no way for like a foreign cryptanalysis to actually like decipher this message. So it was really, really complicated. They thought it was foolproof. But the Soviets' code's downfall came because there were just so many messages that had to be sent. And I mean, there's these are people, labor-intensive, this is labor-intensive work, and people get lazy. They get tired of doing this. And so Soviet um, cryptographers had to create thousands of unique one-time use pages. And the strain became so great that the one-time pads came to be used more than once. And the duplicated pages were mixed with the one-time pads, but the global reach of what was now the NSA was so great that it was still able to collect enough of the duplicated codes to give the American cryptographers an opportunity to break this code. So the National Security Administration mm -hmm. is, is gathering the the few pads that have been used twice and yes compiling all those and trying to crack it that way exactly so it's kind of like just like looking through things through the garbage and trying to find some kind of some kind of pattern and what has been thrown away and like so it's real it's 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 really hard to be able to crack this but once they have these duplicate pads they can give it to their code breakers so genevieve again is she's working for the for what is now the nsa 
And she again makes one of the most important discoveries of the entire Venona project. She devised a process for reorganizing the reuse of these unique numerical values. Once the pattern was discovered, entire Soviet KGB messages could be read. So again, she finds the pattern, and that is what they enables them to read basically any discarded one-time use pad, because she finds the pattern and how these numbers are being used. And again, this breakthrough saves many, many lives. So Genevieve resigns from the government service in 1947. Um, and after this, information about her is pretty sparse. She worked briefly as a mathematics professor at George Mason University, so she does fulfill her lifelong dream of being a college math professor. Her husband also taught at George Mason in the chemistry department. Sadly, though, like their, their son Ellis died tragically when he was 22 years old of a cardiac arrest in the family living room, so really, just like really, really tragic there. Genevieve and her husband, they kept teaching, and they, they moved on after that, and they actually established a fund at George Mason in their son's name. Genevieve died in 2006 at the age of 93, and in 2011, the NSA inducted Genevieve into the NSA's Hall of Honor, which honors those who gave distinguished service to American cryptology. So I just think that Genevieve's story really represents the thousands of women who have worked as cartographers, not only in World War II, but wars before that and wars after that, and just like to be able to um, to figure out ways to keep um, American citizens safe. And again, just talking about the importance of women in, in STEM fields. I mean, this was a woman who really loved math and saw math, math beauty in its patterns and how it works and how important that was for the war effort, but also just in her own life as well. So we've talked about these women both in America and in Great Britain who really were these unsung heroes of the war effort. I mean, we know that information is so vital to um, to cracking toads, to, to safety, and I think especially World War II was very much like an information war. And I think it's important to remember these stories and remember those women who, who we might not maybe have even been aware about. I mean, Genevieve was really shy. She really didn't think her, maybe her story was like super important. She thought that she was just lucky in finding that. But this was one of the biggest breakthroughs of the entire war, really. And I think that there is something to be said in maybe like remembering that people that are unassuming might have might do more than we might realize. Definitely. Wow, thank you so much for sharing. That was such an inspirational story. If you guys enjoyed listening to that as well, check out our other episodes full of more great stories and remarkable women. Well, thanks so much for listening and we hope you tune in next time. Wonder Women is edited by Dominique Roberts with original music by Matthew Gregory. 